Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called, The Leaf Has a Song in It. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, October 2nd, 2011. To think about creation, we should listen to the cosmologists. To know the age of the earth, go to the geologists rather than to Genesis. And since nature is a source of dreadful suffering, since it is, as Tennyson said, red in tooth and claw, don't forget the philosophers. They help us unravel the problem of evil. I thank God for the cosmologists, the geologists, and the philosophers. They enrich our knowledge of nature. It's frightening, in fact, to think how ignorant we'd be without them. They tell an important part of the story of creation. But despite the importance of their stories, they tell us only part of creation's story. To understand, appreciate, and experience nature in all its fullness, we must also read the poets. Poetry wields a power all its own. Whereas science limits itself to the mechanisms of physical matter, poetry cracks open our hearts. It fires our imagination, stirs our emotions, and provokes our spirits. The purpose of art, said the Russian filmmaker Andrei Tarkovsky, is to plow and harrow the soul, rendering it capable of turning to good. That's what poetry does and why it's important. Poetry begins where science ends. In her book, Absence of Mind, Marilyn Robinson critiques what she calls parascience, the hubris that science is the only or best method of reliable knowledge about what is worth knowing. Parascience, she says, ignores one of our most basic sources of knowledge the essential elements of experience as mediated by the conscious self, compassion and conscience, feeling and thinking, wonder and comprehension, thought and perception, art and beauty, guilt and pleasure. And these are what poetry captures in a way that science never can, our conscious experiences of the magic and mystery of creation. Psalm 19 in this week's lectionary is one of the most beautiful poems ever written about creation, partly because it describes what we experience. The created world declares the glory of God in the splendor of his work, says the psalmist. He compares the sun to a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion or to a champion rejoicing to run his course. Creation speaks a special, if speechless, language, if only we could learn it. The last several weeks, I've enjoyed Mary Oliver's new book of poetry called Swan. In 2007, the New York Times described Oliver as far and away this country's best-selling poet. Swan is her 20th volume of poetry, in addition to eight volumes of prose in two audiobooks. 
Her collection entitled American Primitive won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry, while new and selected poems won the National Book Award. Oliver is known for her solitary walks near her home in Provincetown, Massachusetts, and for how those walks provide a rich fund of material for her poetry. Experiences of the natural world inform almost all of the 45 poems of Swan. This gift of the world I adore so much and want to belong to. Consider, for example, the first poem in the collection called What Can I Say? What can I say that I have not said before? So I'll say it again. The leaf has a song in it. Stone is the face of patience. Inside the river there is an unfinished story, and you are somewhere in it. And it will never end until all ends. Take your busy heart to the art museum in the Chamber of Commerce, but take it also to the forest. The song you heard singing in the leaf when you were a child is singing still. I am of years lived, so far, 74, and the leaf is still singing. The blessed earth with its sun and moon, wind and water, fox and field, provoke Mary Oliver to wonder in awe. How rich it is to love the world, she says. To be blind in this dazzling theater is nothing less than what she calls calamitous, a negligence of the mind. Can it really be, she asks in Wind in the Pines, that, quote, the wind, streaming especially in fall, through the pines, is saying nothing, nothing at all? Or is it just that I don't yet know the language? And so, with disarming candor, she admits, okay, I confess to wanting to make a literature of praise. Oliver isn't blind to what she calls the hard places of nature. Yes, nature is pretty, but she also names it as perilous. The fox devours the rabbit. The kingfisher claws its prey. But why not compare that to human environmental degradation? Scalping mountains or fishing for oil. Eating rabbits is bloody enough. But, says Oliver, it's better than what's happening to the mountains in the ocean, thanks to humankind. Our experiences of the natural world point beyond themselves to a spiritual world. These experiences evoke human longing, purpose, joy, and certainly intimations of mystery irrefutable. For mystery, after all, says Oliver, is God's other name. In A Fox in the Dark, she describes the spiritual jolt that the material world can give. I quote, If the heart, if it is still alive, feels something, a yearning for which we have no name. A dinner of fresh garden vegetables elicits her observation, how calmly as though it were an ordinary thing, we eat the blessed earth. Oliver's experiences of creation lead to observations about humanity. 
Just what is my place in space, in this vast cosmos? Thinking and reflecting is what humans do, not being entirely children of the earth, like a dog or a tree or a flower. In the poem, The Sweetness of Dogs, she recalls an evening walk in words that echo Psalm chapter 8. The moon rises, so beautiful. It makes me shudder, makes me think about time and space, makes me take measure of myself, one iota pondering heaven. <clears throat> and so this provocative beauty of creation says Oliver, is not to be taken lightly. In the poem from which the book gets its title, Swan, Oliver thus challenges her readers. And did you feel it in your heart, how it pertained to everything? And have you too finally figured out what beauty is for? And have you changed your life? And similarly, in her poem, The Summer Day, she asks, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? For further reflection, I encourage you to go to our site, Journey with Jesus, for other poetry about creation. In particular, Wendell Berry, The Peace of Wild Things. And then three poems by Gerard Manley Hopkins. One, As Kingfishers Catch Fire. Secondly, his poem, God's Grandeur. And finally, Pied Beauty. For books this week, in fact, I re review Mary Oliver's book, Swan, Poems and Prose Poems. Boston Beacon Press, 2010, 63 pages. Back in 2007, the New York Times described Mary Oliver as far and away this country's best-selling poet. Swan is her 20th volume of poetry, in addition to eight volumes of prose, and then also two audiobooks. Among her numerous awards, her collection entitled American Primitive won the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry, while new and selected poems from 1992 won the National Book Award. Oliver is famous for her solitary walks near her home in Provincetown, Massachusetts, and how those walks provide a rich fund of material for her to observe, ponder, and take great joy in the physical creation. The 45 poems in Swan follow this tried-and-true method. The blessed earth with its sun and moon, wind and water, fox and field, provoke wonder and awe. How rich it is to love the world. To be blind in this dazzling theater is, in her mind, nothing less than calamitous. And she admits, okay, I confess to wanting to make a literature of praise. Oliver isn't blind to what she calls the hard places of nature. Yes, nature is pretty, but she also calls it perilous. The fox eats the rabbit. The kingfisher devours the fish. 
But why not compare that, that to scalping mountains or fishing for oil? Eating rabbits is bloody enough, of course, but it's better than what's happening to the mountains in the ocean, thanks to humanity. If we learn the language of nature, it points beyond itself to human longing, yearning, purpose, and certainly to what she calls mystery irrefutable. Oliver's empirical observations about nature lead unapologetically to spiritual intimations about humanity. In the poem from which the book gets its title, Swan, she concludes, And did you feel it in your heart how it pertained to everything? And have you too finally figured out what beauty is for? And have you changed your life? Although one of her poems is entitled, I Worried, in the poem, More Evidence, she thus concludes, I think I have not lived a single hour of my life by calculation. Faith, this is the engine of my head, my breastbone, my toes. For film this week, I review a documentary called Between the Folds from 2008. Vanessa Gold wrote, directed, and produced this one-hour documentary about origami. Unlike other art forms that add or subtract material, paper folding begins and ends with one square piece of paper, a simple flat surface, and then, without any scissors, tape, or glue, it combines the beauty of art, the complexity of math, and the technical expertise of engineering to create almost any imaginable form, whether representational and comprised of perhaps 200 folds, and realistic, or purely abstract and limited to a single fold. All paper folding, as we learn, is constrained by math. It is thus a so-called metamorphic art. Gould interviews many of the foremost paper folders in the world, from the father of the art, Akiri Yokozawa, to people like Miri Golan in Israel, whose original or whose origami curriculum helps students to have fun and to visualize geometry. My own favorite was Eric Demain, the youngest professor ever hired at MIT, who folds paper for fun, but also for complex applications in proteins, telescope lenses, DNA structure, and airbags in cars, all of which are folded in some way, shape, or form. This film is fantastic for anyone, but it would make for a very special family film night. The title, Between the Folds. <coughs> and finally this week, for poetry, we've posted a poem by Mary Oliver. The title of the poem is called The Journey. It's taken from her book, Dreamwork, 1994. 
One day, you finally knew what you had to do and began. Though the voices around you kept shouting their bad advice, though the whole house began to tremble and you felt the old tug at your ankles, mend my life, each voice cried. But you didn't stop. You knew what you had to do, though the wind pried with its stiff fingers at the very foundations, though their melancholy was terrible. It was already late enough in a wild night, in the road full of fallen branches and stones. But little by little, as you left their voices behind, the stars began to burn through the sheets of clouds, and there was a new voice which you slowly recognized as your own, that kept you company as you strode deeper and deeper into the world, determined to do the only thing you could do, determined to save the only life you could save. Mary Oliver, The Journey, Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, October 2nd, 2011. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.